All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today is a mock draft Monday as well as a mailbag Monday where I will be answering a couple of listener questions and examining a recent mock draft from the draftnetwork.com. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at FalcFans.com, RIP, still going strong on Twitter at FalcFans. And, of course, the host of this illustrious Lockdown Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode of Lockdown Falcons is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON20, and you'll get 20% off your next order. So, guys, today's episode is a mock draft Monday where I will be examining a recent mock draft from Trevor Sikama, a three-round mock draft from Trevor Sikama, and talking about all three of his picks for the Atlanta Falcons. It is also a mailbag Monday in which I'll be answering some listener questions dealing with various topics, including whether or not the Falcons, along with other NFL teams, will be avoiding players with characteristics, whether... I'll be revisiting my Calvin Ridley rant and why the Falcons may be looking to move on from Julio Jones in the near future, which will then lead to a bigger discussion about why this team should be poised towards building towards their future. But first let's get into Trevor Sikama's three round mock draft posted at the DraftNetwork.com, And of course he has Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson going first and second overall in this draft. Trevor has the 49ers trading up for Trey Lance at pick three with the Miami Dolphins. And then has Carolina moving up to pick five to take Justin Fields, swapping with the Cincinnati Bengals, because the Falcons pass on taking a quarterback at pick four to take a playmaker in tight end Kyle Pitts from the University of Florida. And I've talked about in the past why it makes sense for the Falcons to be attracted to a player like Kyle Pitts this high in the draft. I went in depth on that on a February episode. I believe it was February 22nd. So definitely go check that out for a more in-depth look, but we'll sort of touch upon the broad strokes of that take back then. Basically it boils down to Kyle Pitts being an explosive playmaker. Uh, Kyle Pitts is a, unicorn so they say at that tight end position and that adds tremendous potential value to the Falcons offense particularly in a world where the Falcons decide to pass on a quarterback and roll with Matt Ryan at that position for the foreseeable future you know Super Bowl teams tend to be very explosive on offense tend to be top-notch defenses obviously there's no defensive player that's going to single-handedly transform the Falcons into that level of defense Uh, and it would also be sort of foolish to say that Pitts is going to single-handedly transform the Falcons offense into that uh, in meaningful ways, at least in 2021, given the steep learning curve that rookie tight ends tend to have and the fact that the Falcons already have playmakers at the wide receiver position. But in a likely future, more on that later, where Julio Jones is no longer with the Falcons, Pitts is going to give you a new and different playmaker that's going to be very complimentary to Calvin Ridley that's going to allow you to attack defenses up the middle where NFL teams and defenses are most vulnerable. So in the second round, Trevor has the Falcons selecting edge rusher, Ronnie Perkins out of Oklahoma. And 
Perkins is the sixth edge taken in Trevor's mock, and there were seven edges taken between picks 14 and 43 in Trevor's mock. So he basically was predicting a little bit of a run in the second half of the first round as well as the top of the second round. So it would be a pretty good spot if the Falcons were looking to draft an edge rusher, which I think they probably will be, to take a player like Perkins. I haven't watched Perkins in depth, but from what little I've seen of him, you know, he's a player I like. You know, I don't necessarily project him as sort of a double-digit sack guy. I see him more of like a six to eight sack guy. But then again, I saw Demarcus Lawrence when he was coming out and Perkins reminded me a little bit of Demarcus Lawrence as more of a six to eight sack guy. And we saw Demarcus Lawrence, you know, become a double digit pass rusher, a double digit sack artist in 2017 and 2018. Although to be fair, if you look at Lawrence's entire NFL career, you know, he averages about seven and a half sacks per 16 games. So, you know, he's in that threshold, but had those, you know, two monster years. So very good pass rusher. But Lawrence hasn't been able to build off that the last couple of years uh, and continue to be that sort of near or elite pass rusher that he's been. You know, I, I like Perkins' repertoire of moves. He's got a nice speed rush. He's got a, a long arm. He's got a bit of a bull rush. He'll use some other moves. I think the biggest knocks on Perkins from what I've seen so far is his lack of size, not having ideal size at that position and lack of sort of elite bend at that position. But again, even if he's just a six to eight sack guy, I think that would be welcome at least by me in Atlanta. I know others would want him to be more because of all the pressure that we tend to put on pass rushers, at least in recent years here in Atlanta. But I think in the second round, you know, if, if Perkins, all he is, is, you know, a seven and a half sack guy, uh, then that would be great value at pick 35. Moving on to Trevor's third round selection for the Falcons. He has them taking linebacker Jameen Davis out of Kentucky and similarly seems to have a little bit of a run on linebackers at the end of round two and beginning of round three with six linebackers being taken between picks 57 and 72. I only watched one game of Davis. I thought he was a long athletic guy. He didn't necessarily wow me in a major way. Uh, the draft networks, Kyle Krabs compared him to Willie Gay, who was taken by the Chiefs with the 63rd overall pick last year. It's notable to me that TDN lists linebacker as a primary need for the Falcons, listing it as a bigger need than running back, safety, or cornerback, which I disagree with. I'm not necessarily in love with the Falcons linebackers group, but I do feel like it's much more of a depth need than some of those other needs. And my guess is that they come to that conclusion based off of pro football Focus's low grade of Foya Olakun this past year. Obviously, you know, we know that Foya Olakun definitely outperformed his grade. Um, but you know, in terms of these other bigger needs that I think the Falcons have, the next running back off the board in Trevor's mock was Oklahoma's Trey Sermon with the 87th pick. The next safety was Oregon's Javon Holland with the 84th pick. And the next corner was Stanford's Paulson Adebo with pick 76. So I think given need, um, you know, those guys would represent more valuable picks than Davis. And I, you know, I haven't watched all those guys, but from the things I've heard that, Based off of what I saw of Davis at the linebacker position, I would argue that some of those guys also are better overall prospects, or at least I hope that they are. And we'll see once I watch some of those guys as this offseason unfolds. So there's Trevor's three-round mock draft for the Falcons. Some interesting picks there. Uh, Certainly will have people thinking and, and talking, which is really what 
exactly you want out of a pre-free agency mock draft as things are inevitably going to be changing in a week or two when, once we start doing mock draft Mondays and we're going to see what teams eliminate some needs in those early days of free agency, which is going to sort of streamline the draft process. And we'll, you know, we'll talk about those on future mock draft Mondays, but we still have a Monday mailbag to get into and we'll get into some listener questions including whether or not NFL teams are going to be looking at some characteristics as we continue on today's Locked on Falcons. But before we get there, guys, I want to let you know that Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The NFL might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, NHL, NASCAR, and college football are all in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality television. Get real-time updated odds and the props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up. Just head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today at BetOnline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, sign up today for free at BetOnline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first First deposit, bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So I got you covered on everything you need to know about the Falcons, but what about the rest of sports? Host Peter Bukowski has you covered now on the Locked On Today podcast. It's all the sports news that you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe today to the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So our question comes from Stephen Bounds. He asks, hey, should the Falcons think twice about players with maturity slash decision-making questions in these uncertain times. Yes. You know, I think the Falcons along with several NFL teams are going to be a lot warier, particularly with taking players that have quote unquote characteristics this off season, much more than they would in a normal off season. I think given the opt outs, with draft prospects and the limited access that teams are going to have with those prospects to really sort of pick them apart physically and mentally. I think in general teams are going to probably be a little bit more conservative, a little safer when it comes to risky players, whether they be character risks or injury related risks. You know, you have a player like, Isaiah Wilson, who was the Titans number one pick last year comes to mind as a situation that teams are going to want to avoid. And I wonder given the limited amount of information that teams are going to have with these players, they're just going to say, look, we're not going to risk that and wait on those guys. I think those guys will still get drafted, but they might have, to, you might see more guys fall to day three. You might see more early round talents that have these character or injury risk fall and get drafted much later this year. So you'll have some opportunity for some steals uh, for players this year. And we might have, it's going to be interesting to look back at this draft three to five years from now uh, is what I'll say. But, you know, I think when it comes to the Falcons specifically, I do think they are going to want to avoid similar situations as that, because I think this new regime, you know, with the potential changing of the guard, as far as the leadership at certain parts of their roster is going to go uh, that may occur in the very near future. You don't want to necessarily risk bringing in some immature guys into an environment that lacks that sort of leadership. You want to also bring in guys that are going to be able to allow you to establish your own culture, your own leadership as well. You know, I don't know if the situation is going to be similar to what Dimitrov and Mike Smith experienced back when they first took over in 2008, where it was very clear that the Falcons were targeting these quote unquote high character guys as a reaction to the whole Michael Vick debacle and specifically went after several players that were team captains in college and spent the better part of the next five drafts and whatnot, adding those types of players to sort of build that culture and to sort of distance themselves from that. 
But it wouldn't shock me if this team does draft a couple of captains this year. I don't know if they're going to go as deep as the Dimitrov and, and Smith guys did, regime did uh, back in the day. But certainly it wouldn't shock me if they wind up getting a couple of those guys to try to, to establish their own culture moving forward. Our next question comes from Andrew G at Drewski411. He says, I appreciate you answering my question on trading Ridley. I think Julio is gone in 2022. And I love Ridley, but I think developing a new wide receiver under Julio for the next two years wouldn't be as difficult as other positions. Wide receiver translates fairly well to the NFL. I suggested Rashad Bateman and Devontae Smith because they are both very similar to Ridley and the success the franchise has had as a whole developing wide receivers. Um, Now, for those that missed Thursday's episode, which is where Andrew's previous question was asked, I went on a little bit of a rant at the end of there on the question about the possibility of trading Calvin Ridley. Andrew asked that question as a follow-up. I would like to remind people that I tend to have a hair trigger when it comes to a podcast rant every now and then, and people should not take it personally when they ask a question that leads to a rant. Typically what happens is I will hear something one time and say, Oh, that's weird. Then I'll hear a second time and like, Oh, okay. That's not a one-off. Then I will hear it a couple more times and it will lead to me going like, I have to nip this in the bud. I have to end this narrative now. And that will often lead to various rants. So you just happen to be Andrew, like other people have been, you're just like the fourth or fifth person to say a thing. And I I go off on you as opposed to uh, the first or second person. So, you know, the reason why I went off on that Ridley rant, it's just, I've just heard a lot of anti Ridley stuff from fans over the last few months. And, you know, I was triggered essentially. So I would say, Andrew, I do agree that finding a wide receiver to develop under Julio Jones shouldn't be that hard. Uh, But the Falcons need to be thinking about replacing Julio Jones, in my opinion, sooner rather than later, not Ridley. As I said on Thursday, I think this is probably going to be the last of Julio's peak seasons. If history uh, suffices, wide receivers typically lose something at around the age of 32. Um, Obviously Ridley while older for his older than his peers is still very young and still has like five more years before he reaches age 32. So rather than looking for a Ridley clone, I think they need to be finding a Julio clone because I think they need to be finding someone that complements Ridley. We know that Ridley is not a guy that wins 50, 50 balls or jump balls or anything like that because he can't jump, right? We make that joke, but it's, it's true. He can't jump. He's not going to win in the air. He's not an above the rim guy. You know, if we're comparing him to a basketball player, his game is much more like Trey young, which is, you know, shooting threes than it is, you know, Russell Westbrook, where he's going to be slashing or D Rose, where he's going to be, you know, penetrating and dunking on people uh, and finishing at the rim. Right. If to use a basketball analogy. So when it comes to Ridley, he's capable of running at all three levels, short, intermediate, and deep. But when it comes to those vertical plays, those deep plays, you know, you want a receiver that complements Ridley that's going to be able to run those posts, those goes, those fades, because Ridley isn't particularly good at that part of the route tree. That's not his best work. When Ridley runs those vertical plays, his signature deep routes are the ins, the outs, the comebacks, the corners, i.e. the routes that typically require a quarterback to throw to a specific spot and rely a little bit more on timing than 
necessarily the posts, the fades and the goes, which are typically I'm going to throw it up and the receiver needs to go get the football. That's not really where Ridley wins in the Falcons to compliment Ridley. They need to find a receiver that is capable of those vertical plays that can win in those ways on the fades, the posts and the goes. So I, I think you're right as well, Andrew, that finding quality wide receivers is not as hard nowadays because we have a, a consistent a consistent supply of quality wide receivers that I don't see changing in the near future. So I think this is going to continue to be something that teams can do in the future, which is waiting on players on like say day two, rather than investing first round picks in wide receivers. And I think that's due to the prevalence of like seven on seven, uh, the spread offense at the lower levels. And so you're just getting this continued supply of quality wide receivers entering the college ranks, which obviously has a quote unquote trickling up effect to the NFL level. So that's why I feel like the Falcons shouldn't have too much problem finding Julio Jones, finding a replacement for Julio Jones, not to suggest that they're going to find a player as good as Julio Jones, because despite having quality wide receivers, you know, finding hall of fame wide receivers like Julio Jones is not easy to do, but it is one of those things where the Falcons can find a quality wide receiver that can complement Ridley in the near future. So I think that's really what the plan should be as opposed to trying to find a replace Calvin, find a replacement for Calvin Ridley, just simply to avoid paying Calvin Ridley. But you know, I know people still wonder why I quote unquote want to get rid of Julio Jones. And it's not that I want to get rid of him. It's just simply, I think me understanding that there are factors that are pushing the Falcons in a direction that leads to them potentially moving on from Julio Jones sooner rather than later. And it's just simply me understanding it is what it is, as they say. And it's a similar stance that I have on the team drafting a quarterback. And we'll get into that. We'll further elaborate on those two topics as we move forward on today's Locked on Falcons and talking about the potential of the Falcons moving forward as they build this roster towards the future. But before we get there, there is a special March Madness promotion from Built Bar to find out what is the top flavor of the best tasting protein bar out there on the market. Starting today on March 8th, Built Bar is unveiling their bracket for the top flavor with daily matchups between all your favorite flavors that you can pick yours at BuiltBar.com. Built Bars are the best tasting protein bar on the market, and they're not just tasty, they're healthy too. They're low in sugar, low in calories, high in protein, high in fiber, and whether you want to wait to see which flavor is crowned champion at the end of the month, or you want to get your own mixed box of 18 flavors that features Built Bar's top nine flavors and create your own bracket at home, just head over to BuiltBar.com and make sure you use the promo code LOCKEDON20 to get 20% off your next order. My personal final four would be peanut butter, coconut almond, caramel brownie, and peanut butter brownie. You can pick yours, and when you do, make sure you use the promo code LOCKEDON20 and you'll get 20% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. So we're going to talk about some of the possible quarterbacks that the Falcons may be facing later this season, later today on Lockdown Falcons. But speaking of which, the Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson quarterback carousel is certainly an interesting topic. And of course, if you want to get more in depth into those guys, potential destinations, you should be tuning into the Locked on Seahawks, Locked on Texans podcast, and you can do so on the radio.com app or wherever you get your podcast. So 
we're talking about the possibility of the Falcons moving on from Julio Jones. And I'll elaborate why I think the Falcons will be looking to move on from Julio Jones in the near future. I think it's given his age, given his injury history, given the financial commitments and given now that we have a new regime, I think it's going to push the Falcons in the direction to move on from Julio Jones. And I, I personally made my peace with it and I'm trying to help you guys make your peace with it. You know, I don't think I've had a lot of people sort of push back and over the last week or so talking about, you know, why can't the Falcons use Julio in the same way that Arizona used a player like Larry Fitzgerald and sort of, you know, ride him until the wheels fall off. Now, you know, Fitzgerald's now 37, going to be 38 this August. And why can't Julio follow a similar path? But I think, you know, the factors that, played in Fitzgerald's favor that won't play in Julio's favor is that Fitzgerald never had the injury history that Julio has dealt with. So you're not as concerned about Larry not giving you a full season as you are with Julio. And the Cardinals have never, as far as I'm aware, have never been quite up against it from a cap standpoint as the Falcons are at this current point, even in Bruce Arians final years when they were trying to go quote unquote all in to try to win, win with Fitzgerald and Carson Palmer towards the end of that tenure. And then when you look at Larry Fitzgerald back when he was at age 32, he started signing a series of below market extensions that caused him to make considerably less than as what Julio Jones is making now. And I think the other big factor that often gets forgotten is the Cardinals were never really successful in finding a successor for Larry Fitzgerald. There are selections of players like Michael Floyd and John Brown and Christian Kirk with early round picks over the last seven, eight years. You know, none of those guys were quite able to take on the mantle of taking over the wide receiver one spot from Larry Fitzgerald as being the guy that I think Calvin Ridley is poised to potentially do in the case of Julio Jones. Now, obviously it's, it's slightly different given Larry's advanced age and he's on the verge of free agency this off season, but it is noteworthy to me that there hasn't been as strong a push to bring Larry back this off season, at least from what I gather this off season. I think everybody in Arizona wants Larry to come back, but it's not like we got to find a way to get Larry back in the fold this off season, as it has been in previous years. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that is the following the off season after the Cardinals acquired their Larry successor in DeAndre Hopkins. So it's a similar dynamic, not quite the same as the Ridley Julio as the Hopkins Larry in my opinion. So to me, unless after this season, Julio decides to sign a series that starts signing a series of extensions, that's going to pay him considerably below market value for a top end wide receiver and do that for the remainder of his career with Ridley on the rise. I it's difficult for me to see a scenario where the Falcons aren't going to be looking to move on from Julio sooner rather than later, whether that's next year or the year after, I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and say Julio is definitely a goner after the season. I think it's likely that he's probably going to get traded next off season, but it's not definitive, but I think it's going to be a similar, it's going to be based around a similar situation that you have that I've talked about with Matt Ryan before, where unless this team makes a really deep run in a postseason, like say the conference championship game, this season, I think the team is going to be looking to move on. They have to basically come away thinking like, oh, we're really close and like conference championship game level close, in my opinion, for this team to decide to, to quote unquote, keep the band together for one more year. So, um, you know, I know a lot of people are going to label me as a Julio hater because they think I want the team to move on from Julio Jones, which is 
couldn't be further from the truth. You know, I don't want the team to move on from Julio Jones. You know, he's my favorite player on the team, just like I don't want the team to move on from Keanu Neal, who's my favorite player on defense. But I've just made peace with a quote-unquote reality of the situation that I think the Falcons potentially find themselves in, and I think they're going to ultimately decide to move on. And I've just made peace with that, just sort of the business side of this game. And part of it is I've seen this story sort of play out before where the team was not prepared in the past to live in a quote unquote post Roddy white world, right. Or a post Tony Gonzalez world or a post Michael Turner world. And I, I saw that be a major contributing factor to the downfall of one coaching staff. And I don't think this new regime is going to come in and marry itself to the Falcons current pieces uh, that they're inheriting, particularly the older ones. And, you know, I think they're going to want to forge their own path. So to put it another way, I think I don't believe their goal is going to be to redeem the past, but rather build towards the future. If you get the differences there. And this is why I ultimately think that they will ultimately take a quarterback at pick four this year. Right. But to be honest with you, whether they do or don't is really no sweat for me. You know, as I I talked about with Charles McDonald on a couple of podcasts, like two weeks ago, you know, regardless what the team do, does at four, you know, whether they decide to draft a potential franchise quarterback or they're drafting a blue chip player at another position is no bother to me. You know, either way, I'm good with it. Right. But I know people tend to love drama, myself included, and nothing tends to incite more drama than draft takes, even though none of us know if the player that we wind up picking is going to be good. We're just guessing. And we're not going to know the answer to that guess until three or more years down the road uh, before we can figure that out. And it's again, it's not because I think people aren't allowed to have opinions. You're more than welcome to have an opinion on a prospect, but I just don't understand why people are so willing to die on certain Hills over a guess. That's going to take three to or more years to figure out if it's right or wrong. That just seems silly to me. But the thing that does worry me the most, the thing, if, if anything keeps me up at night about the Falcons, it's not what they do in this year's draft, as it seems to be the case with so many other people. The thing that I worry about is if this team does wind up being good this year and winning a lot of games this year, letting it go to the head and leading to a level of complacency, because, you know, this goes back to something I've sort of talked about before, which came comes off as arrogant, but like, I often feel like I'm, weeks or months ahead of everybody else in terms of the things that I'm thinking about and talking about than what everybody else. And I know this is going to be a topic of discussion come mid to late April once the schedule comes out, but like no one's talking about, or like not enough people are talking about how soft the Falcon schedule is this year. And, you know, particularly when you look at what their defensive matchups are dealing with and the lack of top 10 quarterbacks, like the only top 10 quarterbacks that the Falcons are scheduled to face this year or Tom Brady and Josh Allen. And both of those guys are, I think, probably due for some potential regression this year. Uh, you know, Josh Allen is, is nothing but a volatile quarterback. So him playing at a quote unquote MVP level seems to be very unlikely based off of his body of work. And Tom Brady is reaching an age where he, you know, he was marginally a top 10 quarterback for this past season. And then wasn't exactly he lit the world on fire in the postseason. He was fine, but it wasn't like he was amazing in the postseason. So the idea that he's going to be even better, you know, I think is, is certainly up for debate. And then you're not you're like, and this goes back to what I talked about after the 2019 season when talking about the defensive turnaround and the second half of that 2019 season where 
it was, you know, a lot of it was facing some lesser quarterbacks. Like, and guess what? We are facing Kyle Allen is coming through that door potentially again, you know, because he might be starting quarterback for the Washington's team this year. And we got a bunch of teams in the AFC East, in the NFC East, uh, as well as in our own division that have major quarterback question marks. And this goes back to what one of the things I was talk, constantly talking about last offseason and why I was so you know, gung ho on complaining about the Charles Harris thing is when you're facing top, you know, seven out of the top 10 quarterbacks, you're not going to be able to slow those quarterbacks down unless you pressure them, right? That's why they're top 10 quarterbacks is because the only way to stop them is by pressuring the quarterback. And to me, the complacency that the Falcons showed by like, Oh, we'll just give up a seventh round pick for Charles Harris was not a positive sign in my book. And this year you may not have that challenge. And I say that because it's like, you know, the narrative is like, oh, all we needed to do was change the coaching and all of a sudden it's going to solve all of our problems. And the schedule kind of sets up in a way where like if Dean Pease is just decent, you know, and if Arthur Smith and this offensive line can just hold up and, and generate some explosive plays and their running game is just decent, you know, that they actually might win, you know, 11, 12 games this year, given the schedule that they're going to face. And it's going to lead, I think, a lot of people to a similar level of complacency that I think we've seen in the past where a new regime has come in, a new coaching staff has come in. They've had some success early on, whether we're talking about year one for Jim Moore, when they went to the NFC championship game, whether we're talking about year two with Dan Quinn, when they went to the super bowl, whether we're talking about year three with Mike Smith, where they had the, the best record in football, the number one seed, and people thought they were a Super Bowl team that year. And what happens is they get that taste of success early on, then they falter a little bit, but they get complacent and they don't really sort of build towards the future. And they're looking for that last piece to get them over the hump. And I don't want to see that happen with this new regime. And I think that's part of the reason that is pushing me to advocate for the team to take a quarterback. It doesn't guarantee that that, that they will avoid that fate. But if they draft a quarterback, it to me at least is like the first of a major signal that tells me that this team is more about building towards the future. And at least the potential is there that they will avoid that complacency. um, If they are, you know, with that sort of mindset uh, moving forward. So that's, that's where, that's the thing I worry about more than anything is like, Oh, what happens if this team is 12 and five this year, make it to the second round of the playoffs, what then happens? So we'll see, we'll see how this new regime handles that if they have to handle that. But I do wonder if they do find some success it's not sort of just simple as like, hey, man, we won a bunch of games. We made the playoffs. It's all good now. It's like, well, you know, that is a hurdle in and of itself, in my opinion. So we'll see how they how they deal with that. We'll see how they answer these questions this offseason. But those are my thoughts on it, guys, today. If you guys have questions that you want to uh, – ask me for future mailbag episodes or you have any feedback that you want to provide on any of the things I talked about on today's episode, anything that I've talked about on previous episodes or anything you want me to talk about on future episodes. Of course, you can hit me up on Twitter at lockdown Falcons on Facebook at lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to lockdown Falcons at mail.com. Appreciate it guys. Until then.